Hello and welcome to IoT at the Edge, the podcast for the industrial IoT practitioner, evangelist, and skeptic. In this podcast, we cut through all the marketing hype and technical babble to bring you insights and clarity on the industrial internet of things. Now here's your host, Mike Farian. Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Farian. Today, we're going to examine what I believe to be the most daunting and urgent digital transformation challenge that we face today, and that's the modernization of our electrical grid. You know, the grid is critical to the world's economic infrastructure. Physically, it's the largest distributed electrified infrastructure on the planet. And very simply put, it is old. So at the same time, the world of electrical energy is changing dramatically, and it's outpacing the very infrastructure that supports it. So I've got two outstanding guests joining me for today's discussion. First, we have Prithpal Kajuria with Intel. Prithpal is Intel's global segment leader for smart infrastructure and internationally recognized as a smart grid expert. And Jason Shepard was the data. Jason is VP of Ecosystems at Zedata and is also very active in several projects in the Open Source Linux Foundation relating to the ability to reliably and securely scale massive IoT deployments. Prithpal and Jason, thank you for joining us today. Welcome, Thanks. Mike. Thanks for having us. So Prithpal, can you kick us off today with a review of the current state of today's grid? Yeah, thank you, Mike. I think the grid was designed 100 years ago when flow of electrons were happening from utilities to consumers, homes and businesses. But last 10 plus years, a couple of things have changed. One big thing is that penetration of renewables, what I call rooftop, parking lot, um, solar panels, and that is creating a bi-directional flow of the electrons in the grid. As I mentioned earlier, the grid was not designed for it. The second big thing is happening is the electrification of our transportation sector. In next decade, that's, what, that's right in front of us, which is going to quadruple the demand for electricity. Our infrastructure was never designed to handle these two scenarios, which are in front of us. And we need to rethink how we are going to manage, maintain, and operate the grid going forward. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. So, I mean, if I kind of summarize from a real simplistic perspective, it used to be we build a power plant in a central location close to the customers, right? With the expectation that that all the energy was going to flow downhill, if you will, from source to destination. Yeah. Um, and now it's become just so distributed. And and on top of that, with these distributed energy producing resources, they're also highly variable, right? That's true. And um, I think that that's the biggest challenge is that in one minute, it can be 100% and the next minute it can drop by 50%, 60% and the load will shift back to the grid. So what is going to happen is going to be a constant seesaw. One time there's too much renewables generating the power and the next minute they disappear and the load shift back to the grid and grid has to step up. Okay. Now it makes the life of utilities very difficult in a couple of ways. One way is that if utilities are generating more power and then in between customers are coming and using that power, they're wasting a lot of money. And the other direction is this the flow of power coming back to the grid, which is creating imbalances in the grid because one minute it shoots up, next minute it disappears, and it is stressing the grid infrastructure 
over the time that infrastructure is going to prematurely fail. So how can we inject technology in it to uh, optimize the grid operations and improve the reliability going forward? Right, and, and we should talk about the scale of the challenge because if this was a small small infrastructure, it would be easier to get our arms around this. But can you talk just real briefly to the scale of on, on a global basis or national basis, you know, what are we talking about here? Oh, so I think look at that uh, from a couple of points. You know, one big is that how big the power grid network is worldwide. I think it's a 26 million miles of power lines worldwide. <laughs> okay. In, in what's like a 1.6 or 1.7 billion customers utilities have worldwide. And as these renewables penetrate more and more all across the globe, it is going to make the challenge for the utilities. And I think the other thing is coming is the regulatory burden on the utilities. I think in future, utilities will be benchmarked against how much renewables, they are helping to the grid to utilize it, basically increase the utilization of renewables. And that, that can only happen if the grid gets smarter. And what I call it that a grid will become a grid of microgrids. And inside a substation, each feeder will act like a microgrid because it has customers connected to it. Some customers are generating more energy than what they can consume, and that power is coming back to the grid. And how you grid is going to maintain it? Like my house in California, when it is a sunny day here, I generate more energy than I can consume. Where that energy is going? Going back to the grid. And there are 20% of the homes in my neighborhood have a solar on them. They're all putting the energy back to the grid. And think about that number goes to 50%. 60%, what's going to happen? Too much flow of energy coming back to the grid and grid has no mechanism to uh, maintain it right now. Hmm. In interesting. And, and on top of the variability in in sourcing and, and transient sources of electricity, we have other wide swings happening as well. Like we have wider and wider weather patterns now, which cause huge utilization. And, and certainly, Jason, you know, you live in Texas, who is certainly a mm -hmm. topic of national and, and global mm -hmm. news very recently. So you know, talk a little bit about, yeah, yeah, talk to your experience there. Yeah, I mean, so obviously, Prithpal, um, you know, is describing a lot of these macro trends and, and, um, the fragility of the grid is was certainly exemplified a few weeks back, you know, here in Austin, where Texas, broadly speaking, a couple of things. One is is just the the, the grid and the infrastructure itself, and and its aging and, and challenges there, and then also uh, issues around uh, deregulation and you know how do you uh, operationalize utilities. So first and foremost, yeah, I mean in Texas, it, I think a lot of people know in the tech industry because we're all working remotely and we're meeting people and we, you know, a lot of people have been telling stories about what happened in Texas because they had calls. But if you hadn't heard, I mean, we were, I mean, basically everything started shutting down. We had record low temperatures. Uh, I think the high, the low on one of the days was five and the low tippy at the worst case is like 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Most snow since 1949, you know, through the region and basically the grid, uh, a lot of parts of the grid started to fail, um, just shutting down. Well, then they had to shut more stuff down because they were having a problem with um, overall power. So they did rolling blackouts. Fortunately, we never lost power at our house. We're in central Austin near downtown, but because I think we're on some critical infrastructure, 
uh, same grid. But meanwhile, across the street was was dead for a week. People were without power for days. Um, uh, also, water became a problem. Uh, all these things, but uh, the word on the street was that we were within a minute and a half or so of the entire grid in Texas failing. Um, and it's all about you got to keep it above sixty hertz. And as things started kind of coming offline, that it was it was you know, pulling back, and there was just like. The trajectory was if we went a little bit further, everything would have shut down. It would have taken like weeks to get it back online. And so it was just a it was a pretty major situation. And then the, the stories were for those that were not regulated, you know, we're we're on a um uh, the city of Austin's utilities, but people that were not regulated, uh, you're going with private utilities, they were getting bills for like sixteen thousand dollars. Uh, was the word, and you know, just because this the megawatt uh, uh, price went to nine thousand dollars an hour. You know, something like that. So just crazy, crazy things happening. Um, and it's it's just an example of how the, the grid is aging. Uh, it's also an example of how it's, you know, as, as Prithball really uh, um, elaborated on, it's, it's a very, very uh, tight ecosystem that has implications when one thing goes wrong, it catapults to other stuff. Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting, certainly a case study on what, what can happen and how fragile things can be uh, literally in, in a matter of days. Um, the last thing I'll mention is it, on top of what, you know, first of all, saying is there's the technology, but then there's also, it's the business model with utilities. If more and more people produce their en own energy and especially store it and become more self-sufficient, you know, to a certain degree, the economics of operating a grid fail. And so then you got a whole other world of problems. And so it, it, the whole thing, you know, is a fragile ecosystem today that, that we need to drive more intelligence into. Um, to to avoid the issues that that we were seeing here, and you know, the more intelligence around um, you know how you shut stuff down and bring it back online, you know, like in Texas the other week ago, all of the above are just case in point why we need more intelligence through the grid and to, as we modernize things. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's a good side point there that I think. Uh, if you're not in the power industry, and I'm not deep into the power industry, but we don't necessarily appreciate that when we have rolling blackouts there, that's to protect the grid. And it's not simply just shutting off a breaker, so to speak, or the consequences aren't just, hey, we're turning off power and turning on you know, a light switch again. It's if you did hit that critical point where the frequency got critically low, all of a sudden massive CapEx equipment starts to be damaged. And if, if you hit that point, you would probably still be, you know, Texas would still be in the dark today. This wouldn't be a matter of days oh, yeah. or weeks. It could be months and months of reconstructing power equipment. Yeah, the problem they had was once they shut people off early to protect the grid because things were failing, like because of the temperatures dropping so fast, uh, they couldn't turn it back on because if they turn it back on, it would fail more. And so people that were unlucky to, to, to be part of those parts of the grid were just out of power. One of my friends sent me a picture. He's like, hey, I got a new refrigerator and it's all his food on his counter. And I'm like, hey, that looks really spacious because <laughs> it's inside of a house with 40 degrees. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, Paul, yeah, maybe yeah. yeah, you could take us towards the future here. What talk to us about the solution? How do we handle this this much more varied, distributed, and transient uh, grid that we need to support? So, I, I think we got to uh, go onto the drawing board and rethink about it. And what we think is 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 going to be forward the substations of the future are going to become a critical infrastructure. Of course, they are a critical infrastructure today, but they will become a more intelligent system going forward. So in order to do that, we got to think in like a couple of ways. First thing is that 
the modernization of automation and control is critical going forward. Okay. We need to modernize. As Jason mentioned, the aging infrastructure, if I'm correct, average life of a substation in US is 40 years. It is, it, it is not designed to handle the needs of the modern uh, consumers. The second thing is the cybersecurity. The, as system is becoming more distributed, threats are always emerging there. How to build a infrastructure which is scalable and we can secure it because today's best security software might not be the best tomorrow. Okay, and it needs to be upgraded one notch up. You know, that's what we need to do it. And this, the last thing we look at is the analytics. Can we use the power of analytics to get more visibility into the data at the edge of the grid in the substation, extract intelligence and make it data driven? So how do we achieve this? I think the best way to approach it to look as a data-centric approach. Can we build a micro data center in the substations where we separate the station bus and process bus? Let's start with the station bus. We start virtualizing all the applications on the station bus into this scalable infrastructure, a cluster of rugged servers, which are certified to IEC 61850-3 class two, then we have a infrastructure sitting on software infrastructure sitting on the top of it. And then all applications can have their own environments to run into it. What comes out of it is the very high, highly reliable, secure infrastructure and gives the utilities the capabilities where they can converge all the data, or in other words, aggregate all the data at the edge and then apply the power of analytics machine learning, AI technologies to start extracting that intelligence. I think that's a first step utilities need to do it because by doing that stuff, now we have a complete visibility into the system. So the next right. step we jump into it on the process bus because we need to embrace standards. Okay? In the process bus, all the protection and control equipment, they need to go through the same journey because today, Utilities might have products from three different vendors, okay, which, are, which are three separate hardware. Each vendor provides its own tool to configure it. Okay? And now you have this, and you have to maintain the spares, you got to train the people. And think about a data center where everybody was selling one box with their own application. A guy who is managing the data center now has to basically go through one box at a time, it's not possible. But with this new standardized approach where we can have that standardized servers and software infrastructure applications, a single tools can be used to configure, provision, deploy the applications. And what it does that it makes the life for utilities much simpler going forward. So I think that is the future we need to go. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Prith Paul. And, and certainly on the Advantix side, you know, we've been building and, and continue to build 
uh, you know, industrial computers like our ECU 4000 or new ECO 579, which are, you know, IEC certified for these hardened applications to go in that, that setting. But a, a key technology there that you mentioned is, is virtualization. Um, Jason, this is deep into your territory. Can you give us a little bit of perspective of what, what virtualized applications means in this setting? Yeah, I mean, and you know, kind of the, the parallel applies in all markets, but it's it's certainly very, very valuable in, in the utility space or energy space. Um, and, and it's you know, to the point, you know, Prithpal is like historically a lot of these these solutions, they're they're very siloed, they're sort of hardware defined solutions. Uh, you get you're very set on one vendor <clears throat> as part of that. And the whole notion of, you know, of course you have to maximize uptime, you have to maximize safety. This is the bottom line, you know, things go boom in the process industry if, if something bad happens, so, so not good, or, you know, or if Texas happens, you know, so you've got to protect those types of things first. But um, the more that you can decouple your data and your applications from the underlying infrastructure, the better off you are, and, and especially open infrastructure, because then you can, um, you have more inner, inner uh, changeability between applications. And so this whole notion of virtualization, where you separate that hardware investment, you know, you know, servers and in, in your substation, it could be compute out in the field for demand response or charging stations or whatever. If you unify on this architecture where you've got a, an abstraction layer between the data and applications in the hardware below, you can now start to transform how you do things while also using existing investments. Because you can't just like switch everything off and you know, start up all fancy new modern containers. You have to be able to move over existing applications. You say something's running in Windows or whatnot today in your substation, you want to put it on you know, modernized infrastructure, you know, server, virtualized. But then maybe you're trying to deploy new types of analytics that are in containers for, for machine learning or something like that. To look at what's you know, the patterns that are happening to kind of figure out any potential anomalies or, or optimize, you know, uh, the power grid. Um, if you invest as a utility today in in this infrastructure that we're all working on as technology providers, it, it gives you a transition path. In what you're doing today, do it right from a security standpoint because you have to protect the process and customers, you know, first and foremost. But it, it in doing that, it gives you that path towards modernization, and and. That's that's the thing is as long as you invest in it, the right infrastructure today from a digitization standpoint, um, you can make it a journey. You don't have to do it overnight. And I think a lot of utilities, a lot of people in all markets are concerned about taking that first leap because they don't, they don't want to take a leap of faith off a cliff. Um, but if you invest in open standards, if you if you invest in technology that there's a shared investment, this is why we're so heavily involved in open source from a Zadita standpoint in our foundation for, for orchestration of, of this type of infrastructure. Uh, you, we orchestrate stuff from, from the cloud, uh, help you enable your choice of workloads, hardware applications, et cetera. The reason why we did open is because if you want to evolve into a broader ecosystem, if you want to try to balance all the things we're talking about in the energy space, for example, you have to have some sort of neutral aggregation point in infrastructure. Lots of different stakeholders coming in, you've got public and private, you've got you know, regulations. If you don't have that open, you know, abstracted infrastructure that this open virtualization approach provides, it is very difficult to address the fragile grid. Um, because you have to do it point by point. Um, right. So anyway, so virtualization is a big part of it. And then the last thing, you know, speaking on the open side is, you know, I, 
I've been working in the Linux Foundation through a variety of projects. EvoS from Zdata, we put that in there. Think of that as like the Android of the edge, so to speak. Um, we're also working in LF Energy, you know, including with Intel and and um, and uh, uh, Advantech and a number of others. But LF Energy, another uh, effort from Linux Foundation, where it's like, hey guys, as energy providers, let's band together to stop reinventing the base, uh, so we don't do undifferentiated heavy lifting. Let's come up with some some baseline standards around, including code, and then it will not only enable us to invest in the right places versus reinventing. It'll also help us to better uh, be be better equipped to exchange data in a transparent fashion. Because a lot of providers also don't do new things because they're scared of IP loss or they're scared of you know, regu regulations, whatnot. So if you band together around the basics, it makes it less daunting to accelerate on some of the you know the more advanced stuff. So it's just really important to have open uh, collaboration around that infrastructure component and to, to do standardization as much as you can. Yeah, now on, a, on an infrastructure this big, you know, really simplifying that edge architecture is so important. And I think just to, to reiterate that the virtualization factor is, you know, the way that's done today in, in these um, substations and such is we have all these dedicated hardware appliances, right? So one piece of hardware proprietary uh, dedicated to a certain function um, each has to be support its own configuration and such, um, you know, for each site. But today, just, just like we've done on our phones, right, it's become an open platform where we can put all these applications and virtualize different applications there. So a lot of these hardware appliances can be simplified and, and reproduced in software and, and deployed, um, you know, on an edge CPU. Uh, exactly and then, but the outcome exactly. of that, yeah. yeah exactly can you tell us about the outcome of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think exactly, Mike, what you said, what is the outcome of this approach? Once you have this uh, hardware and you have this layer built into it, what utilities can get high reliability? For example, you have a stack of three servers. You have virtualized your station bus on it in one server fails in the middle of the night. No problem because your system will keep working as it is, okay? And you can send somebody next day when his time is right, go replace it. Or you are end of life after like a seven, 10 years, you have end of life and you need to replace these servers. No, you don't need to shut down your system, substation down. You can just go replace one server at a time and your applications will be running you know, all the time. And then also the other thing is the manageability in order to, deploy a new application you can all you can do all that sitting from your control center again create a virtual machine or container put the application into it and then let that application run collect your log files analyze them when utility feels comfortable that it meets all their requirements bring that application online you know and you can avoid all those costly trips to the substation you know so I think right. based on our work with the utilities, we saw that uh, around 76% reduction in operation and maintenance cost. Yeah, so that's, that's a outstanding. It's a, it's, it's, everybody. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. a massive simplification once you get past, you know, kind of that initial step. There's of course regulations involved as well. Um, we've seen, at Zadita, we've seen uh, actually really good traction in renewables because it's a newer space and there's less regulation you know not to say regulation is bad by any means it's just there's not as much inertia around current solutions it's, it's not as old as the current grid and some of the practices there but 
Um, so that's that's key part of it too. And the other thing I would just add, so so definitely massive opportunity to modernize substations, you know, kind of the core utility functions from transmission down through distribution and all that. But also because it's an ecosystem, because there's a, a very tight relationship and we've got you know traffic flowing upstream instead of downstream, it's almost kind of why we need edge computing. It's like we're gonna get services from the cloud and then all of a sudden everyone's creating data and we're pushing it to the back end. It's the same parallel. You've got to push more compute out to the edge for the same reason you've got to push power smarts out to the edge because you can't handle the upstream. Um, but that same intelligence we need to push out into the field. Um, uh, for example, demand response. You know, Zadita, we're working with um, a, a customer that uh, they deploy, they own you know, the utility, they're the utility, they deploy boxes out you know, at their customer sites, you know, manufacturing plant, building, otherwise. Um, part of the challenge for them, you know, number one, today, demand response is like literally often, I call you up, hey, can I shut the power off now? Yeah, cool. Shut it off for an hour. You need to make that more automated, negotiated intelligence between the the, the transmission and the and the, um, the building. But um, and the other problem that they face is that if I'm a utility and I'm going to put intelligence in that building for demand response to, to kind of optimize my operations, shut off the grid when I need you know power. Um, I have to today usually run a T1 line out to that location with cellular backup for communications to make sure it's there because I have to also deal with the stakeholders within that building. Like I don't necessarily, I can't run on the building's network because I'm a utility, I'm a third party. These are all the complications beyond all the many other complications. So Zadita, since we virtualize things, we also offer this um, zero trust security model in the field. We can help you orchestrate a box in your environment, the utility owns the box, but it actually runs on the IT network because distributive firewall can back data back to that utility and make sure it doesn't get mixed up with the customer data. And that's important because the utility today is paying three to five or three dollars to $1,000 a month for that T1 line. And so if you can get rid of that line as part of your service, it's a massive savings for the utility. And the same thing applies for all of these different levels of compute and and whether it's the substation or elsewhere, it's not just about the intelligence, it's about how do you deal with this heterogeneous nature of, of the edge, the heterogeneous nature of these types of ecosystems, you have security that works across mixed boundaries. And that's that, that domain response example is case in point, we're seeing a lot of, lot of interest in technologies that can help with that. Yeah, excellent. And yeah, anything at this scale, I mean, anything you do, <laughs> the, the multiple factor is is enormous. And, and to Prithpal, your example of, you know, operations and maintenance costs you know, declining by 76%. I mean, that that is, usually people talk about, you know, gains of efficiency, and you're looking at two or 3% at a time, but to talk about, you know, three quarters of the cost being eliminated. And, and that's on top of, you know, that's, on top of the the capex reduction as well, right? Because I, I believe there's a pretty significant reduction in in number of devices and and kind of redundant devices, if you will. Uh, yes, yes, Mikey. You know, uh, again, our work with one of the utility, we found out that fifty percent reduction in devices uh, happens with it. So the the biggest thing is that now you have multiple boxes. You have to keep multiple spares for them from multiple vendors. In if we standardize to a rugged servers, now rugged server is a rugged server. Whether you put in a generation substation, transmission substation, or distribution substation, 
only will happen somewhere you will put two somewhere you will put five you know depending upon the size of the substation so it is all all standardized so that also saves huge uh, capital cost for the utilities because they don't need to keep multiple boxes in spare you know Right, yeah, and it, right. I mean, it lessens the it lessens the skill sets required. Once you consolidate on, uh, you know, open infrastructure, you you use virtualization, you know, uh, cloud native principles as much as you can. Then you you apply necessarily unique hardware, software, and services to that more consistent foundation, and and then and then you can support different use cases as you go. Of course, some are more latency critical, mission critical than others, and you might vary the tools a little bit. And and so there's definitely some considerations there. It's not like it's one size fits all completely. If you've got you know critical protection equipment, you're going to want you know more uh, you know real time operating systems and things like that. But thing else, you can generalize it and make it way easier. Uh, one thing I'll say just came to mind is like depending on the use case, I had, we had a, a, an event a while back where we brought in a bunch of different providers and and you know it's just interesting about the needs across the the, the market. Uh, a, a guy from the U.S. comes up and you know he's talking about how he's been using you know IoT at the you know an edge for for um, addressing their uh, customers' needs and it's like well we've we've been saving the last five percent out of the power grid or you know five percent efficiency, and then a guy from Malaysia comes up and says. I just want to have power, you know, completely different uh, mindset. So the same infrastructure could could address either one. It's just depending on your needs, you apply it in different ways. But that just really stuck with me. Yeah, that's a different problem. Just having power, kind of like we, uh, us in Texas a couple weeks ago. But but still, it's important to invest in that common foundation. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And to be able to standardize, if you look at the complexity of a, a substation today in terms of number of devices and physical footprint, and to be able to standardize that onto a, a virtualized environment, and, and to a large degree, Jason, it, it addresses something you said of having more success in like the renewables where there's a little bit uh, quicker to adopt some of these things. But even better yet, if we can standardize a footprint and say, look, look this works in a, a substation that looks in a generation plant, uh, whether that's uh, traditional or a, a renewable. And um, you know, some needs change. You need more re redundancy and um, maybe lower latency, but the fundamental architecture can stay the same. the same. And when you look at a problem this vast, I mean, if we can't solve this problem in 5,000 unique ways and manage it 5,000 unique ways, you know, it's got to yeah. be really buttoned up and, and boiled down into some standard yeah, architectures. Exactly, that's called, exactly. That's called uh, whack-a-mole. Uh, if you do it that way, <laughs> you got to have one way. Sorry for trouble. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's why we we use the same standard in substations. We can go apply same inside the wind turbines. We can take same architecture apply to the microgrids. Applications will change depending upon the use case, but the infrastructure remains remains the same. So I think that that creates that you know volume towards the standardization, bring the cost down for everybody. In the whole ecosystem wins wins in that, so I think that that's that's the direction we need to move, and that's what happened in data center world. That's what happened in the telecom market, and I think utilities are also ready for that transformation. Yeah, we're seeing yeah. this across all the markets. I, as I always say, open builds a bigger stage for a better show. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Great, great.
Yeah, well, that, that that's a great point to, to wrap up on here today, guys. And I, I thank you both so much for, for joining us here today. This is a, an enormous topic and an enormous challenge, but I look forward to uh, to seeing what we can all do together and in this whole ecosystem to, to take this on. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having us on, Mike. Thank you for listening to this episode of IoT at the Edge. Be sure and subscribe. And as always, for more information on Advantech's industrial IoT solutions, point your web browser to Advantech.com. <laughs>